0: Let me ask you a question this morning as we get started. Did you bring with you your most precious possession? Where does your mind go when I ask that question? Did you bring with you your most precious possession? I hope you did because I want you to open it. Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, we find ourselves this morning, verses 12 through 16, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, let me read this for us, Luke writes, and it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, go, show yourself to the priest Make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Well, let's begin our time doing just that. Let's pray. Father, We cannot understand the way we must understand it without the Spirit. We thank you that you have given us your Spirit through Jesus Christ. We thank you that the Spirit's task as God the Spirit is to lead us into all truth. We know that we have your Word, your Word Tells us all that we must know about life and godliness. Reveals your character and nature and who you are, both in the heavenlies and here in Jesus Christ. So Lord, this morning as we look at this text, impress upon our hearts the great wonder of who you are and how you accomplish all that you set out to accomplish. May we go away from here knowing our Savior better, may we go away from here reflecting the character of your nature better in us who know Jesus Christ by faith and those who may be with us who do not know him yet, may they come to know him today. May this be a day of new birth, new life, a day of rejoicing indeed it will be. And so we pray to that end all to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. you've been with us through the study of the Gospel of Luke, you know that this is now the third specific miracle that Luke mentions during the beginning ministry of Jesus Christ. Remember that we have said that Luke has set out to tell his friend Theophilus the story Things about Jesus Christ in order that Theophilus will have certainty, in order that he will have the refutable evidence that Jesus Christ is, in fact, who he said he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and he alone has the power to deliver mankind from the bondage and consequences that sin brings. The miracles of Christ are the supreme living examples of his divinity and His Messiahship. His miracles were the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets spoke about. Like Isaiah, when He said that when the Messiah comes, the blind will see, the lame will walk, He will heal the sick, He will raise the dead, He will cleanse the lepers, He will cast out demons. Therefore, all who witnessed these things, should have believed. All who witnessed Jesus Christ in person should, at least from a human perspective, they should have believed. The sad reality is, however, that most, most of those who saw Jesus, who had the opportunity to witness the works of Christ first-hand refused to believe. They refused Jesus Christ. They rejected His claim. And they would even declare that He was doing these things by the power of the devil. In fact, in just the following verses, in 17 and following, you notice that even the scribes and the Pharisees say of Him that He speaks blasphemies. In other words, he is defaming God by what he is saying. They are attributing to him the works of the devil. And so Christ eventually, even early in his ministry, turns his full attention to the Gentiles. If we were to go back and read the Gospel of John this morning, as we have studied through that Gospel in the past, we would realize that Jesus performed... Many miracles, and I I think the word "performed" gives this wrong idea, almost as if someone's on a stage. But he was he was doing, he was accomplishing many things through the miraculous powers, through the Spirit's work in and of him. In fact, John says in chapter twenty, verse thirty and thirty-one, he did many other signs through uh, miracles. Jesus performed many of them in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, John says. They're not written about. In fact, if they were written about, there would be so many of them that their books would not even be able to be filled. There would be too many. But he wrote them so that we might believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. So just like John, just like the other gospel writers, Luke is doing the same thing. He is highlighting Jesus Christ. He is highlighting who he is and what he has done. And therefore, the miracles are authenticators. They are directional arrows, if you will. They are visual pointers testifying that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. He is, in fact, the one who was prophesied to come. He is the Savior who was to come. And so here we are again in Luke chapter 5, looking at what Luke tells us at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and we are given another authenticator, another pointer. It's another miracle, another verifying account that Jesus is the living gospel, that Jesus is who he said he was, and that It is the healing of a very serious disease. It's the cleansing of a leper. Now, as we begin this, you you understand that we have to kind of do some background as we begin this text, because in New Testament times, infectious diseases were rampant. They are certainly rampant in our world, but they don't seem to be all that rampant like they were in the new Testament times, because most historians tell us that in those days, most people, even those with the minorest of infirmities by way of comparison to leprosy would probably and potentially die from it. Most infirmities just killed you really didn't matter what it was. In fact, If a person happened to survive a sickness, the reason they survived is much of the same reason most of us survive any kind of thing that goes on. It's just the way our body naturally handles it. Our immune system, our God-given immune system deals with it. And God causes us by His power and grace to continue to breathe the air He created. But in the ancient times, regardless of whether you the sickness caused death or not, not, most sicknesses, even the smallest of those, would have caused you much pain and usually great suffering. It's an agrarian society. You had to get up and go to work to go outside to, to collect whatever it was you needed for the day. You didn't have refrigeration, so you couldn't just store a whole bunch of food and live in the house for a week until your sickness went away. You had to go and take care of that. In fact, very often those who were sick were left not just suffering, they were left deformed by their sickness, they were left scarred by their sickness, they were in fact left crippled by their sickness, as we will see even next time in our study of Luke, the man that his friends bring him to Jesus because he is in fact that. He is crippled from some kind of ailment upon his body, and life expectancy for anyone who is sick was usually short. It's no wonder that In chapter 5 and verse 1, Luke says that the multitudes are pressing around him. They are pressing around him. So much so that he has to even get into a boat, as we saw, push out a little way from shore, just so he can get some room in which he could teach the people. Why? Because they saw Jesus as a better way of life. Jesus was an improvement to the life they had. And so naturally, they and many who would come to him were seeking that they were seeking their ailments to be taken care of they were seeking life and the circumstances of life to become easier sadly that's the same reasonings many seek Christ today come to Jesus he will make your life better come to Jesus because your life's so messed up if you if you believe Jesus things will seemingly get better and many have perpetuated that kind of lie over the ages We know them, we can point them out, we can see them, they're on TV, they're in books, they're oftentimes the charlatans who will tell you something by way of their own fakery and it's not true about Christ at all. But the general message is all the same, whether it was the ancient times or whether it is now, if Christ can make life better, then let's try Christ. If Jesus can make my life better in some kind of way, then I'll go try Jesus. And so verse 12 says this, came about that while he was in one of the cities, doesn't tell us which city, doesn't tell us how far he was, how far he had gone. We are assuming it's one of the cities around the Sea of Galilee. Came about while he was in one of the cities. Behold, that means pay attention here. Look, this is something important. Behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his you can stop right there for a moment. If you've read through the Gospels, which I'm sure you have, you'll notice that there are only two specific instances in the Gospels where the healing of leprosy is spoken of. We know from John's Gospel that he probably healed more lepers than we notice or have been written about in the Gospels. There's only two specific instances where the healing of leprosy is spoken of. One is a multiple healing that Jesus does. is recorded for us in Luke chapter 17, the 10 lepers that Jesus heals. We'll get to that in, I don't know, a couple of years, and you won't even remember we talked about leprosy by that time. Luke chapter 17. The other is here in Luke chapter 5, it's also recorded in Mark chapter 1 and Mark 8, this same account. There are, of course, like I said, no doubt, other instances, right? In fact, Jesus even told John the Baptist's disciples when they came to inquire him as John was in prison, they came and said, are you the one? Jesus said to the, to the disciples of John in order to assure them of his identity, he said to them, listen, go to John and tell him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the captives are set free. In other words, go tell them what Isaiah said about me, and you will understand exactly who I am. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5 talks about that. And so Luke says here in verse 12, behold, a man full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell down before him. This is important for us to understand because under the Jewish ceremonial law of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, that's the the law delineated out, the law of Moses under the Levitical law, chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus, a leper, someone who had leprosy, even in a, a minor case or severe case, they were ritually unclean. And therefore, because of their uncleanness, they were then excluded from not only religious society, but they were excluded from the normal aspects of society. And so here in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, his coming to Christ in the midst of what would have been undoubtedly a crowd right there's crowds are pressing around him here he is in another city the same things are going on you see the crowd even in verse 17 and following so large so packed in so tightly that the friends of the man on the on the the bed have to lower him from the ceiling just so he can get in the proximity of Jesus Christ this man who has leprosy ritually unclean societal outcast comes to Jesus in the midst of all of this. And that's incredible for us to see. This is mere and and unadulterated desperation on the part of a person. This is a person who understands their condition fully. They are desperate. I have to get to Jesus. I have to be in front of him. I have to ask him this question because he is the only one who can deal with my need. Now, why was leprosy regarded in that way, right? We don't seem to see that today. There's not leper colonies, at least not here in the West. There, They still have some of those kinds of things in some of the Asia countries. But that has reasons that have to do with medical treatments. Why was leprosy regarded that way even in the ancient times, particularly in comparison with other physical ailments? Somebody like those who were around the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem who would try to crawl to the waters because they thought that the stirring of the waters meant they would be healed. Why weren't they relegated out of society? Why is it leprosy that does that? Well, first we need to understand that leprosy had a religious significance in the eyes of the people. In other words, from not only a a health standard was it troublesome, but in a religious way it was troublesome in the eyes of the people because it was seen as a type of sin, a type of sinful defilement, or, or actually a consequence because of sin. In other words, the reason you have leprosy is because somehow in your life, somewhere in your life, where, it's a, where maybe it's a secret closet issue, whatever it is, you're sick because it's the judgment of God on you. It's because of your own sin. And so, in ancient times, according to the Jewish religious law, leprosy then was this outward and visible sign of some inward spiritual condition. And so the leper was considered unclean because they were the very embodiment of moral impurity. They were moral impurity walking around. Now, let me just fill in our understanding a bit on the heinousness of the disease of leprosy so that we can, in this text, this is I want us to see the grace of God in this man's life, the grace of Jesus Christ being poured out in this man's life. And I want to draw from that several aspects or several facets here about the healing of this man that parallels for us God's saving grace in the sinner's life. Leprosy, you may know this, particularly if you're in the medical field, is known today as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease. That's what it's called today. And it's the oldest recorded disease known to mankind. I do not say it's the oldest disease mankind has ever had. I said it's the oldest recorded disease known to mankind. Uh, there were probably others, but they don't know of them or they had died off before that. And because it's so heinous, it's one of the most feared partly because there's still no official cure for Hansen's disease, even in a medically advanced world. So why is it feared so much? Well, probably because when you and I think of leprosy and here in the West, when we we go, oh, a leper, what we have in our minds usually is images from movies that we've seen that had to deal with biblical things, and maybe there was a leper hanging around and so Hollywood has made it such where it's very grotesque and very ugly. Usually people missing limbs and other kinds of things, ulcerated wounds upon their body and disfiguring, disfiguring figures. In fact, even if you Google leprosy today, don't do it right now, please. Put those devices down. Don't be curious about that. yet. Yeah, you can do it later. You get pictures and images of people who are disfigured. I was reading recently about this disease and it's interesting that you might know this while it's considered a cruel disease. It's not considered cruel for the reasons that most of us might think it's cruel. I mean, we will look at those kinds of images and we will see people where they don't have hands and fingers and feet and, and their faces swollen in different kinds of ways. And there are open wounds and all of those kinds of things. One of the reasons why a leper had to cry out in ancient times, unclean, unclean, But that's not why it's so cruel. It's cruel because leprosy works on the body much like modern-day anesthetic works for us. You cut your hand, you cut your foot, you cut your leg, you do some kind of injury to your body, you go to the hospital, they take that needle out which scares you because it's like three inches long and it's small and it's going to poke you. and, And so you begin to sweat and they put it in that wound and they numb that wound up. They deaden the nerves that are bringing the pain signals to your body so that you won't feel the pain that they're going to do on your body while they fix the wound. Leprosy is like that. Leprosy attacks the pain receptors of your body. Primarily the pain receptors in your extremities, your feet, your hands, your face, those things where you feel things. And it, it, It is a permanent painkiller, a permanent painkiller. Now, I I read that, and I thought about that, and I thought, man, no pain. Man, that'd be great to go to the dentist and have a permanent painkiller. They don't have to give you a shot. I don't like the dentist. I'm not sure many people do. I had a friend who used to be able to go to the dentist and not take any painkillers, nothing. Don't shoot me up. Just do the work. I thought, man, that would be nice you might think, oh, permanent painkiller, not so bad, no pain. But before you think too quickly about that, this is what makes it such a horrible disease. In fact, it's the numbing factor of the disease that is what makes it so destructive to the body. You say, how so? Well, of course, they've done research. One renowned name In the research of Hansen's disease, is a name, Dr. Paul Brand. He worked for 10 years, or for years, I should say, over in India, studying the disease. And years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book called, Where is God When It Hurts? I'm not a huge Philip Yancey fan, but in this book, he makes an interesting uh, observation from Dr. Brand about the disease. Dr. Brand says this, quote, For thousands of years, people thought Hansen's disease caused the ulcers on hands and feet and face, which eventually led to rotting flesh and the loss of limbs. But through research, it has been established that 99% of the cases of Hansen's disease only numb the extremities. In other words, Hansen's disease is like an anesthetic. It numbs your extremities of your body. And the destruction that follows comes simply because the warning system of pain is gone. Those whom Dr. Brand was treating while he was in India said that they would work all day gripping a shovel with a protruding nail or Walk on splintered glass without even wincing. Why? Because the disease was working like an anesthetic, so that they did not even notice that they were being injured. Dr. Brand discovered one young boy, he said, who gashed his finger open to the bone by simply turning a key in a stuck lock, and he was unaware of the injury. Imagine that, ladies, cooking slicing up your vegetables or your whatever, and your knife goes across your finger and you just keep slicing your vegetables, no problem. Your finger's gone, but you're slicing the vegetables. You've now put a Vienna sausage off your hand in the, in the salad. You get the picture, right? Normal routines of life become the very things that grind away at your hands, They grind away at your feet until sores begin to develop on those extremities and those sores become infected. And all of that happens with no warning, no register in your mind that there's something going on because the God-given pain system that you have has been shut down. That is Hansen's disease. So leprosy is heinous. It's a pervasive disease that over time, debilitates usually those who go untreated by it, and eventually, due to infection and injury, it usually causes death. You can understand why the Levitical law for cleansing was so strict concerning lepers. If you spent time around a leper and you came in contact with their wounds, you could potentially even contact and contract Leprosy yourself. That's what makes the disease of leprosy such a graphic illustration, beloved, for sin. Sin is the most heinous, the most pervasive spiritual disease in all of humanity. It is what kills everybody. We all have it. We're all diseased by it. And its effects produce the same result as leprosy sin dulls your conscience sin dulls your spiritual senses it dulls you to the truth of god so that every person does what is evil in the sight of god we live according to sin and that sin brings everlasting destruction to every person if something isn't done about it. You will take yourself to the place where there will be an eternal effect upon your life to which there is no cure. And so like leprosy, sin affects the whole person. And like leprosy, it's incurable. Incurable by mankind. So Luke says here, this leper becomes, or he comes to Jesus. And Luke, being a doctor interested in all of these kinds of things, knows leprosy probably better than anybody else. And Luke is saying to Theophilus, Theophilus, you need to know for certain who Jesus Christ is. Here is probably the worst disease that could ever inflict anybody in the ancient days, and he's an object lesson of the power of Christ and the pervasiveness of the sin of mankind. And So this is a remarkable account. This man himself, knowing the Levitical law, knowing who he was, knowing the disease he had, that he would venture out of that colony of lepers into the crowd of people, and it is just as remarkable that Christ would be undeterred by this man's closeness to him. That's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. So let's begin to draw out several facets about this healing that parallel the curing of sin. Facet number one, those who know they're sick come reverently. Come reverently. Verse 12 says, and it came about that while he was in one of the cities, a man full of leprosy was there, and when the man saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he implored him. In other words, this man came to Jesus knowing in desperation, in adoration, in fact, of whom Jesus was, knowing that that all he was bringing to Jesus was the greatest need he had. I have to get to Jesus. He comes as a reverent beggar. The text tells us that he fell on his face and he implored him. That is the posture of this man. He is begging Jesus. He is in a posture of human adoration, begging Jesus. That simply tells us, beloved, that he understood his need. He understood his physical need before Jesus. And he had the confidence, notice, he had the confidence that Jesus Christ could and Jesus Christ would meet that need. And so he humbly comes to Christ. He approaches Christ. The parallel text that I told you about in Luke chapter 18 illustrates this. Luke chapter 18, there's a parallel of this coming before Christ. It's not the leprosy passage, but it's a a passage in which illustrates this very posture. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, as Luke recounts the story, and he Also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. So here you have a scenario in which there are those who believe in and of themselves. We don't need Jesus. We are righteous in ourselves. We are okay already. We're not sick. They're diseased with sin. They can't make themselves righteous on their own. They view others with contempt. In comparison to themselves, they're much better. And so Jesus tells this parable. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. So one religious, one highly religious, the other an outcast, a tax gatherer, a traitor, really. One who was working for the Roman government as a gatherer of taxes who turned on his own people. So the worst of people. That's the idea. You have one who's a religious at the highest level, the other who's the worst of people. You couldn't have a farther juxtaposition of two people than here. The Pharisee stands there as he's praying and says to himself, notice he doesn't really speak to God in one sense. He was praying thus to himself. God, even though he mentions God, he's really not talking to God. He's talking to himself. I. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this guy here who's standing behind me who shouldn't even be in this place. I'm adding words to his mouth here. That's the attitude. That's the heart. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. In fact, I'm a really good person. I go to church. I read the Old Testament. I teach other people about it. I'm a good person. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I I put money in the church plate. I help others. I even take your law seriously. I fast not once, but twice a week. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, saying, "God." Be merciful to me, the sinner. No comparison. No comparison to the other people around him. No comparison to the Pharisee who's standing in front of him. No comparison at all. Just him and God. God, be merciful to me. It's between you and me. I have offended you. I am the sinner. See, that's the posture. That's reverence before God. Go back to Luke chapter 5. That's the attitude of this leper. That's the attitude that a sin-disease sinner is to have. Coming to Christ knowing he needs healing. Just like this leper comes to Christ knowing he needs physical healing, knowing he can't live, he can't cure himself. There is no cure unless somebody cures him. Another facet here, that's the request, the request. Notice what he says. He falls on his face, implores Jesus, saying, Lord, if you are willing, if you're willing. This is the request of the sick, the request of those with a need. Lord, if you're willing, there's no presumption here. There's No reality that in the heart of this man that Christ must act on his behalf. There's no sense in which he's demanding, Jesus, listen, I know what you did at Peter's house. I know what you did to these other people. I know what you did with all of those people that came to you night after night after night. You must also, you have to heal me. You must do this. There's no presumption that he deserves healing. He's not presuming that God owes him something. No, he understands that he's unworthy. He understands he doesn't deserve it. In fact, potentially he's thinking like all others thought about leprosy. Uh, There's things in my life that are obviously wrong, and this is why I have the disease. I, I deserve everything I'm getting. He leaves himself completely in the Lord's hands to do what God willed. I was reading recently one writer talking about this passage, put it this way. He said, there seems to be an implication here from this man that he was quite willing to remain leprous if the Lord would will it such. He comes to God and says, if you, if you will, and yet with the attitude of saying, if you don't, I that's okay. I, I deserve it anyway. Notice that he didn't explicitly ask him to heal him. He didn't explicitly say, hey, Jesus, heal me. He simply acknowledges Jesus' ability to heal. If you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, he left the result up to Christ. God you you have to do something or or I'm never going to be changed from this you are the only cure I think that reflects the true heart that understands that if God doesn't do something you're left in sin if if it's God he heals as he chooses God's not under obligation to heal anybody either physically or spiritually God saves according to His will, not according to our demands. So the leper never claims some right before Christ that he must be healed. And no man today can claim a right before God that he must be saved. You must save me. I deserve saving. We cannot claim that. There are many today who make claims that God is required to save. They say that based upon the reality that after all, I'm a good person. Surely God's going to save me. Or after all, God would never send anyone to hell by way of judgment because God is a God of love. We we deserve saving. We, We should be saved. In fact, God is required to save us because it's the heart of God. He's a loving God, but the heart that God saves has no concern for his own welfare heart that God saves only has a heart for God's will to be done whatever that may be only the Lord's will be done so so the posture of this man is reverence the the request of this man is that God's will would be done the third facet here the attitude the attitude we we've touched on it already but it's an overall attitude here that's, that's in verse 12. It came about while he was in the cities, a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he falls on his face and implores him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That is an attitude of humility. That's an attitude of humility. The leper is humbly submitting his case to Jesus Christ. Jesus Said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's not talking about sad about the circumstances of life and the things you're going through, and you mourn those things, and oh, I cry, and so God saves me. No, he's talking about the condition of your heart, mourning over your sin. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. That's humility. You know what humility is. You know what humility is by by way of just a short definition, keep it in your mind. Humility is simply a clear vision about your condition. Clear vision about your condition. Those who are humble will come to Christ because they know they are diseased with the plague of sin. Proud don't come to Christ. The proud say, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else. The humble come to Christ and beg, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, to not come to Christ with a humble heart, to not come to Christ at all is to say that you're not diseased or to say that your disease isn't bad enough. It's not as bad as it appears to be. The reality is, it's just like physical leprosy. If you think like that, then sin has numbed your senses. It has squelched your conscience, the very pain sensors that God has placed within you in order to cry out concerning your need. The conscience no longer sounds off its warning signals when trouble is there. The humble recognize their condition. Just like this man. Passant number four. This, the requirement. The requirement of the sick. The requirement of the sinner. He says, listen, you can make me clean. I'm filthy. I'm filthy. I need cleansing. You can make me clean. That's the requirement. You must do it. What the requirement of is? Faith. Faith in Jesus. This man came, knowing his condition, knowing he needed healing, face to face with Christ, falls on his face in this posture of humble reverence before Christ, knowing he has an issue, knowing that he doesn't deserve it, and he says, "Only you, I believe you can do it. You must make me clean, or I will never be clean." It's faith. That's the requirement. Faith. The requirement of this man was to believe that Jesus could heal. That's the same requirement for those who are diseased with sin. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus. Faith, Hebrews 11 says, is the conviction of things not seen the conviction that God is able to do what He said He could do. This man knew that Jesus was not obligated in any way to heal his physical condition. But he also knew that he was completely able to heal his sickness. No, he wasn't obligated to do it, but he knew he could do it. And so what's the object of this man's faith? Jesus. Jesus, I believe you can, and I believe you may. Christ is the object of faith, not faith itself. That's the lie from the false teachers of our day and the charlatans who try to carry out these ministries who say they can heal people. The reason someone doesn't get healed by them, they say, is because that person's faith is weak. In other words, the object of their healing is the faith itself. You just got to have more faith. You're, you're the wrong person because your faith isn't strong enough. It's not why Christ came. He didn't come to do physical miracles. He came to preach the gospel so that men might be saved by Him, through Him. Just like leprosy, that's what sin does. It brings so much pain. So much Pain. But if you believe, believe who Jesus is, believe he is able, that he's willing, you can be clean. Fifth facet here, the response of the Savior. Verse 13 says, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Stretched out his hand and touched him and he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Notice there's none of that, take these pills for 10 days and come back and see me and you hopefully you'll be good. Immediately, it left him. In response to the man's condition, Christ reaches out his hand and he touches the man and says, I am willing, be cleansed. I like how it states it in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1. It says that it was out of compassion that he reached out. Out of compassion for this man that he reached out. In other words, the empathy of Jesus Christ toward this man is rather outstanding in light of the condition of this man and the world in which Jesus is walking around at the time. In the original language, the word compassion is the word that describes A pained feeling at the sight of suffering and a deep desire to relieve it. A pained feeling at the sight of suffering and a deep desire to relieve it. Now think about that. This must be what Christ sees concerning our sin. This must be what Christ sees. Before His incarnation, before Jesus Christ, before Christ becomes man as we see and is explained in Philippians chapter 2, He sees our suffering and from His deep desire to relieve it, He comes and becomes man so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him out of compassion. writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. It's astounding that Jesus would touch this man at all. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. That is shocking. Jews, by virtue of the Mosaic law, were forbidden to touch a leper. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus uses an illustration for that we call it's the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and those who were the religious passed by one who had been beaten on the side of the road. They didn't even want to get involved with that situation, let alone it being someone who might be a leper who they would clearly be unclean for days. Leviticus 5, three says, if you touched a lever, let a leper, it made you unclean, physically and ceremonially. So part of the pain of leprosy was its social stigma, the social isolation that came with the disease, so that lepers, generally and emotionally and psychologically, would long for someone to touch them. We've even seen the reality of those kinds of things in our own climate over the last several years and the whole imposition of isolation for COVID-19. People have taken their own life because they longed for some sense of human interaction and human touch. You know what? Jesus could have spoken a word. Jesus could have said, stay away from me, young man. It's against the Mosaic law. He could have just said, be healed, and the guy would have been healed. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, as Mark says, out of compassion, Christ enters into this man's world. Comes into his situation. He condescends to this man's place, and he touches him. I'm sure all the people around were shocked when they saw Jesus reaching out his hand. And Jesus actually touches the man. I love how Luke says it. He stretched out his hand. Christ, beloved, stretches out to us. He comes to us. He reaches into our sin sick world and life so that we might be cured from our disease. and Immediately, his leprosy is gone. Immediately, whatever limbs might have been gone are now new. He has new fingers. He has new toes. The skin that had left his body is now cured. He has the soft skin of a baby. His face is back to normal. The disease is gone, and it is gone immediately. What a shock. His posture is reverence. His request is God's will be done, whatever that means for me. His attitude is humble. His requirement is faith. He believes the response of our Savior is compassion and grace upon his life. And the sixth facet is that he's cleansed. He's clean. He says, I'm willing, be cleansed. This is the result. And again, just like we've studied in the past, like the healing of the demon-possessed man that Jesus comes upon, who stands up in the temple and says, Ah, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. Full and complete. Healing as Jesus casts out the demon, Peter or Jesus goes to Peter's house, his mother-in-law is sick, full and immediate fever leaves her in a moment as Jesus heals her. So too with this man. It's immediate, it is complete. He touches the man and his sickness is gone. No more deformity, no more sores, no more oozing, no more discoloration of his skin, no more pain. That he isn't feeling. His pain receptors are now new. He's made whole in a moment. That's what happens when a sin-sick soul is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the very thing that happens. You are a new creature in Christ. You are made whole and new the moment you believe. No more... No more penalty for sin upon your life. Now it's the righteousness of Christ. There's been a transfer that takes place. Your sin is placed on Christ. Christ's righteousness is given to you. The pervasiveness of sin is gone. Now you can have victory over sin. You can win it daily as you submit yourself by faith to the Spirit of God walking by faith. It's through Christ that you and I as sinners are made new. New creatures in Christ like the leper. Facet number seven. Number seven. Here's the request of the Savior. Verse 14, and he ordered him to tell no one. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. Here's the request of the Savior. The request is for obedience. You come to the Lord in reverence. You come saying, your will be done. You come in humility. The Lord responds and He stretches out. He enters into your place. You come believing that He can make you clean. You you ask Him to If he's willing, please cleanse me. He stretches out his hand and he says, I am. And he cleanses you and immediately you're a new person in Christ. And he says, okay, now obey me. Obey me. Before this man could even celebrate or even give testimony about the miracle that just happened to him, he was to fulfill the requirement that the Mosaic law required of him so that the priest could attest to his cure. This is what Leviticus chapter 14 requires of a leper to be cleansed. It gives detailed requirements of what that means. We're not going to go into all that, but it's a a very detailed process in order to show yourself that you are cleansed of leprosy. It involves a process that usually takes several days, if not weeks. We know why Jesus told him to do that. We know why. The end of verse 13 tells us, immediately the leprosy left him. You say, what do you mean? Well, how does that tell us? It tells us this, that the man was completely and fully and immediately cured of his leprosy. No signs were left. In other words, a miracle had taken place and it was at the hands of Jesus Christ that it happened and the Pharisees were the ones who were continuously trying to discount the miracles of Christ trying to say, you can't do that, no way he's done that, always doubting what he was doing. And so to have the priest declare this man clean would have been an official and priestly confirmation of the fact that Jesus, by the Jewish establishment, that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. You go and show yourself to the priest. Do exactly what the law says as a testimony to them. This is what God requires of us when we are saved by his grace. You know what he requires? Immediate obedience. Immediate obedience to the truth. Listen, beloved. We need to show people by our life that we are saved and then our words will ring louder. Because our obedience to Jesus Christ testifies loudly about what Jesus has actually done to us. Far too often, far too many times we we lack obedience, and our lack of obedience to the things of Christ undermines the very testimony and the work of Christ that He has done in our heart. We go out with zeal and a right kind and a zeal for Jesus, but we go out with very little obedience to Christ. In fact, verse 15 says, notice, the news about him was spreading even farther. You say, why? Why was the news spreading so far? Well, we're not told in Luke. We're just left with kind of in our own minds, assuming that, well, it was because there was a lot of people around and they saw this guy, they saw what happened. And so that must've been it that people fled, you know, ran off because they saw this guy be healed, much like in the previous things that a lot of people are around. And so they wanted a word travels fast. I mean, it's like the fastest fire you've ever known. But Mark chapter one says, after Jesus had healed him, in Mark chapter one, it says he went out And he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. Mark chapter one, verse forty five. So in other words, this man wasn't fully obedient to the things that Jesus had told him, and through his disobedience, others saw Christ simply as a healer of sickness rather than a savior to cleanse sin. They saw Jesus as a magic earthly genie that would fix the circumstances of their life. He would make life better. He was like what the faith healers today try to proclaim about him that is not true. that he's just a physical healer a physical fixer he'll fix your life come to Jesus and everything'll be great physical cleansing Christ certainly did but all those were just simply pointers to what he would do spiritually and so because they saw him as a fixer of life's issues Because of the testimony of this man, he could no longer minister freely, it says in Mark. He couldn't freely go about the cities. The Lord's great purpose was to cleanse sin. In fact, notice verse 15, the news about him was spreading even farther and great multitudes were gathering to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. You see, The man's testimony spread so far and wide about what Jesus had done about his sickness as that's what people thought he was about. He's coming. He'll heal your sickness. Go to Jesus. Life will be great. Certainly Jesus, by His grace, would do that with many, although not everyone. Just like leprosy, sin destroys spiritual health makes the person an outcast before God. That's what sin does. Leprosy destroys your health, makes you an outcast with the people. But Jesus Christ has the power over disease. He has the power over the disease of leprosy, and he has the power over the eternal damning spiritual disease of sin. He's the only one who can restore that. Well, this leper was restored to society. God didn't say, Oh my goodness, he he didn't do what I told him. Wham! He's got leprosy again. Didn't do that. He was no longer an outcast, no longer one to be feared in the crowd. Beloved, that's just like us. That's like us who repent. We'll no longer be an outcast before the Lord in God's kingdom. We're completely restored. We are new creatures in Christ. That's what happens. That's what happens when we come with no pride, when we come with no claims of worthiness, when we see ourselves before God in the wretched place that we are. We are repulsive before God. We simply. Go before God like that publican, like the tax gatherer, begging for mercy we don't deserve. And God responds with grace and compassion. And as we believe him, there is cleansing and calling us to obedience. Jesus himself needed to slip away very often and pray. Continual prayer of Jesus Christ with the Father. I would believe even oftentimes praying like we pray, Lord, open their eyes to the truth. Help them not see me simply as a physical healer. Help them see me for who I am, the one who came to set them free from sin. Christ calls us to obedience, beloved. Life of obedience is the proper testimony to what Jesus Christ does in saving us. Let's pray. Lord, we are awed by your grace and mercy and compassion. When no one else would dare to even get close to this man, this man comes to you. You know his full condition. You know it in every detail. You know his heart, his thoughts, mind. And you reach out and touch him. That's what you've done with us who have believed upon you made us new in Christ, cured our disease, given us great hope. And even in our zeal, we've gone out at times and had all the zeal for telling others about you and yet none of the obedience in our life. Forgive us. Forgive us for distracting others from the true sense of what they need. You aren't the one who will make circumstances better, but that our life will be eternally better because we're in Christ. and Therefore, our perspective on this life will be so different. Thank you for Jesus Christ who came to save from sin. Help us, Lord, to walk in obedience by the power of your Spirit granted to us through faith in Jesus Christ so that you are glorified in it all. In our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.